Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, inspire, and motivate you that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the story consultant and career strategist at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a consultancy committed to guiding your vision while helping you get to the next step in your career. My special guest today is Moira Curlin, and I am very excited and honored to have her. Moira is currently a consultant on the ABC hit show Castle. Before this, she was a co-EP on Medium, where I worked with her at CBS Paramount. Before that, she did stints on The Dead Zone, Haunted, and Dark Angel. Moira started her career as a director of development for Stephen Bochco Productions, where she helped to staff such acclaimed shows as NYPD Blue, Doogie Howser, MD, and Brooklyn South. Thank you for joining me, Moira. I'm very excited to have you. Thank you for having me. So, you started your career in development. I did. I completely forgot about I that. I did. I did. I was there. Uh, I started as an assistant, and I was there for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It was a great place to work. I'm sure it still is. And what was what was Stephen like as a mentor? Was he did you have a lot to do with him? I had I had yes, I had he was very involved and it was a very small company, so everybody knew each other. Um but I think probably my mentor there really would have been uh, Dana Bochco. Oh, great. She was my boss, my direct boss. Great. And she taught me an incredible amount uh, about what it means to be a woman in any business, a successful woman in the business, and how to handle situations, how to handle sexism. I mean, she had been at Fox for years right. and years and years, and she was terrific. She oh, was just that's great. wonderful. And a, just a, a, a great boss and a great friend. And development. So that that is a fascinating thing because I know there are many development executives in our business who wind up making the jump to writer, some successfully, yes. some not so successfully. What was the experience of being behind the desk to becoming the writer? What was that transition like? Um, the transition itself was actually very easy. I think I, I think wanting to be a writer led me to searching for a job in development. I think there, David Milch actually, speaking of Stephen Bochco, David Milch sort of talks about this, the idea that, that as a writer you feel you're not good enough. Right. You, that it, not me. I, I can't do that. That's beyond me. And, and, and you have to sort of develop the confidence within yourself to understand that you can do it. Right. And so I was living in that I was living in that state of oh not me that's for others but I can help you know I can help writers and I can help guide their careers and I can help get them jobs and I can help my bosses find good people because I know talent when I see it. And so that was sort of what brought me into development and I was doing that for a couple of years and then um, I have to give props to uh, my ex husband Fred oh. Decker. Uh, without whom I would not be a writer. Um, he, he really encouraged me, and he taught me so much about structure and about scene work and about character and how to introduce a character, how to get into a scene, how to get out of a scene, when you need your whammo moments, and, and he really helped me. And What I, did he write on? He was a feature. Well, he is. He is a feature uh, writer and director. Oh, great. Um, he directed RoboCop 3, and great. he's done a lot of script doctoring and things of that nature. Um, just a really talented guy. And uh, I think the only television show he worked on was Enterprise. 
great. Um, but he he really was probably the ultimate mentor <laughs> when you when you look back on it. Um, and he was your husband. And he was my husband. That's kind of a gift. It, I it like didn't that. work out, but I thank I thank him very much. Highly I, of I, him. Oh, That's absolutely! Wonderful. Credit where credit is due. Um, and so with his with his sort of guidance, I wrote. I wrote two very bad feature scripts, uh, which are still in a drawer somewhere. And then I wrote a feature script that I thought was good enough to show. And uh, I got a, a young agent, brand new agent. He's now he's now a partner uh, at at, uh, at Endeavor. Great, William WME, whatever right. they are now. Um, he was he, I was his first sale, and it sold. We sold the script to to New Line. And who was that? Uh, Chris Donnelly. Oh, great. Yeah, and, great. But I but having been Having been uh, had, having had a day job for so long and knowing how insecure the business was, I actually stayed at Botchko, and they were terrific. After they just, selling, after a selling script. a feature script, I stayed there for I think another year or wow. so, and then and they were great about it. They were really supportive, and then finally I thought, oh no, I think I di- I think I did leave to s- and 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 say I'm I'm going to follow this full time, and then but it was shortly after that 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 Chick Egley, who co-created Murder One. For Stephen and he's with, great. With, yeah. yeah, I was. He was a great friend of mine. He hired me to work on Dark Angel, and I became a TV writer and left features behind. And what whatever happened in that feature sale? So what was that experience like? So you sold the feature. I did. Then what happened? Did then it just kind you of know fizzle? it actually for a while. You know, it had a, it had a little bit of heat for yeah. for a while, and right. I think Martha Coolidge was attached for about. Do you six remember months. what the concept was? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh, was it was. Um, it was. Uh, it was sort of inspired by Titanic. I wanted to do a real drama for teenagers, not a horror movie, not a silly comedy, a genuine story that starred teenagers, and it was a story about a a, a boy, a very troubled boy, seventeen year old, who moves to a. He's sort of on the run. And he goes to this small town in the middle of the country, and he meets a ghost, a girl ghost, who died in the 50s. And they fall in love, but of course they can't be together, and there's much drama and danger and it it kind of had it kind of had everything. It was it was I have to say it was a good script. It actually got me, I think, almost every job that, that I got. I know it got me the Dark Angel job. I think it got me the Medium job. I think it's what Glenn read. That so and is, every and every one in between. Well, it's good for people to hear this. It was I mean, it was did a you have huge spec piece of material. By the time you were on Medium, did you have spec scripts that you had written? I had written a spec NYPD Blue, right? Um, and I had written a spec profiler. I think that was my first TV spec. And I had episodes of Dark Angel, and you know, but most of the stuff was genre, so that was kind of that was kind of hard, right? Um, to use exclusively, right? Um, and have then, you written a pilot script? At I had not point? written a pilot at that point. I hadn't even really thought about it. That came that came later. Oh, good. I want to so. get into that. Definitely get <laughs> well, into I got, that. I was, I actually, well, was it, yeah, it was before Medium. I, I sold a pilot with Renee Echevarria. Great. And uh, to ABC. And they didn't, they didn't pick it up, but it was, it was a great experience writing it. But you sold it and you I and did. Renee have an incredible working relationship. And again, you were reunited on Castle, yes? Yes, oh, yes. I got, so I'm fantastic. very excited. Yeah, actually we have, Renee and I have worked together, I think, far more in, in my 10-year career as a, as a writer. We have worked together more than we have not worked together. We've, we've been I on. This is our third great. show. Yeah. 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 
It it is an interesting thing because I think chemistry wise, even as writers, because you're in the room 10, 12 hours a day, knowing how to bounce off one another and respect one another and help one another. Absolutely. I, I love I loved working with both of you at CBS Paramount on Medium, and I loved seeing you and the way, the friendship that you share and the support that you show one another as far as the business, because it's important. It's a very, it can be a very lonely business it for can. people. It can, and you, you need to know that people have your back. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's every, everywhere I go. Um, I mean, Renee and I did it at Medium. We brought on Rob Doherty and, and, and at Castle, we brought on Jose Molina. It's like oh, the, this, the Dark Angel crew, basically. We're all on the same show but together. But that's wonderful because you guys stay together. And yes. That's the community. And I, I think that's so rare in this business. So when you see that happen, that's incredible. I have to tell you, covering Medium and working with you on Medium, I I loved your scripts oh, on thank Medium. You. Thank I did. You. I, I think you're... you're your emotional connection to story is is just amazing. Well, really, thank you. really great. Thank you. Yeah. It was it was a it was a very 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 and I'm sure it still is a very difficult show to break stories for. Yes. Very challenging. Yes. But also, there's no question that you. I developed muscles that I would writing muscles and creative muscles that I would never have developed anywhere else, and and skills and and I learned a tremendous amount about how to break a story and how to look at things not from not from the expected way, how to try to subvert the audience's expectations of what's going to happen. Um, a lot was expected at Medium in terms of having a twist, having something that the audience wouldn't see coming, and we really challenged ourselves every day to make sure that that was, that that was there. And I think that's, I think that's the, the, that and, and the emotional quality, as you were saying, the, the, the family and the emotional quality of the stories. But I think that is really the secret to the longevity of the show. Well, and it's looking at, it's interesting. When I was in Hawaii recently for my writer retreat, the, uh, I saw the repeats of Medium, several of oh. the repeats of Medium on, on TV there. And it was an amazing thing to just recognize the formula, essentially, of the idea of anticipation, expectation, surprise, mm -hmm. and what is that twist, and does that work, and how do we go from the case, the legal story, to the family story without coming to a halting stop? Right, exactly. How do those transitions thematically come together mm -hmm. that draws you in? And I really think the show does do a tremendous job of that. Now... Looking at the writing process, I, I do have a number of writers who who tune in and love the podcast and say what we love so much is we get information. And taking us into, like, the writing process, you mentioned you learn things on Medium, say Medium versus Castle. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from Medium that maybe helped you prepare for Castle in the creative capacity? Or how were the, how do their rooms differ? And how they work. Well, oh, well, this is, okay. That's a long question. I know. Okay, let me, let me think. Let me see if I can organize this. Um, well, you learn, everywhere you work, you learn, you learn something. Right. You learn how to do something. You learn how not to do something. You, you know, if you're not learning, quit. Go, go, you know, go work in a supermarket or, you know, go do something that, you know, doesn't require you to, to, you know. Um, so you're always learning and, and you always take that with you. Um, and I learned, I certainly learned at Medium how to construct a procedural and how to, and how to construct a procedural hopefully in a way that isn't just linear. 
that isn't, you know, suspect, arrest the suspect, you know, make the suspect confess. The suspect had this sort of typical motive. I mean, you don't, you know, at all times on Medium, don't let the audience get ahead of us. Don't let the audience get ahead of us. And so I think I, I think I bring that now to Castle. I think, you know, you, you, you'll sort of look at an act two out and you'll go, no, it's not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Um, and anytime you're working with people who feel the same way, who have that sort of commitment, um, it's a, you don't always achieve ex- excellence, but you want to have the commitment to excellence. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, you know, you want to do your absolute very best. Um, and so, and so that I definitely learned there just the, how to, how to put together, not even a procedural, I shouldn't even call it that. It's how to put together a mystery, right. which is, which is really what, what Glenn Karen, who, who created the show was doing. I mean, he would say, we're telling ghost stories for, for grownups. And I, and I think that's, that's really, truly what it was. Oh, that's well put. It is. It's, yeah. And it was an excellent thing to keep in your head. You, you're, it, it's a mystery. It's not just, you know, the cops going here and getting the evidence stuff. There are other shows that do that very, very well. I've never worked on one. Right. Um, and I don't know if I, if I would be very good at it, because it, it would lack that emotional quality the, of, of the of the characters, you know, really following the mystery, wanting to solve the mystery. Um, I think both Medium and Castle actually have that in common. And Castle, um, which I love, is um, more comedic. It's much more comedic. Yeah. I mean, it was it was actually Castle. I have to say, if if I think it's I think it's. It's it's the best job I've ever had. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna basically you can say that. Say that? Well, I don't want to I don't want to put down other jobs that right. I've had, which were right. also wonderful. I mean, I, I have they to say they led you to where you are. And it's and and I just I I, I want to say just in case it, it isn't part of any other question, I I have been so lucky in my career in that I have never worked for a hack. Right. I have always worked for talented people. Some of them were more inclined to mentor or to give you responsibility than others were. That was their own personal management style and their own process. Um, so some jobs are, are, are more fun or, you know, some jobs the, the show's doing better. It's always better and more fun when the show's doing well. Um, but Castle has been wonderful in the sense that there there is a tremendous amount of responsibility placed on the writer to to take your story and to and to make it work to write your script to do your notes you're on the set every day from first call to the last shot um, and so you produce your own episodes. You produce your own episodes. That's wonderful. And it's, ju- it's just been this is I just finished the uh, the second episode for the show for the first episode I did for the season, and I got to go into the editing room and I was trimming and I mean it was just it was a, a fabulous experience. I mean it's just so much fun. And Andrew Marlowe really believes that the writer should have that pride of ownership. Right. Um, and so that has been Andrew Marlowe is the showrunner, the cre- the creator and the showrunner. Oh great. Um, and he's just he's just been he's been wonderful it's 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 one of the happiest staffs I've ever worked on we all get along everybody's everybody's terrific it was true last year and we even had some turnover some people left and some new people came on but the new people are great too it's just been kind of extraordinary a healthy room and I and I sort of tell Andrew because this is the first show he was a feature guy and this is the first show he's done I'm like you know it doesn't happen like this all the time right that everybody gets along and that you're doing something you're proud of and that people are watching it and isn't this fun isn't this great I mean this is this is why we do this and you tapped into something I mean it is an interesting thing because I've been blessed with having Aaron Spelling as a mentor mm-hmm. and having wonderfully talented people on the shows that I've covered as a, a learning uh, and growing experience and it the effect that it has had on me has been it it inspired me to open this business and it made me recognize the 
idea of passing what we learn on to others and the importance and the value mm -hmm. of what we know and teaching others that with you, have you had a chance to mentor, like say the people under you in, in a way that maybe you learned from some of your experience where it wasn't given to you and recognize, wow, I, I need to be that person, certainly with women in the writer's room because I look at, and that's something I want to talk about with you too, is what it was to be a woman rising to the level that you have as a writer in the writer's room. But but first, as far as the mentoring, are you? do you feel that you're aware of that because you recognize what it is to have strong mentors and you also recognize what it is if somebody's choice was not to really embrace that part? Yes, um, yes, uh, I, I try to right. mentor. I'm, it's it's I think it's more it's less of a of a decision that you make and more um, that was how I was raised up. You know, that was that was how starting with Dana, starting with yeah. Dana, starting with Stephen Bochco. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, he he mentored young writers. That was important to him. Um, Chick Egley on Dark Angel was an That's incredible great. mentor to me. That's where I met Renee, who who became also a mentor. Um and you know several bosses after that, Ira Bear and Scott Shepard. I mean, these these are these are people. I who, forgot you worked with Ira. I did. Ira is twice. a tremendous mentor. He yeah. was terrific. Yeah, I worked with him on Dark Angel, and then I worked with That's him on Twilight right. Zone. Yeah, and he's terrific. And he, I mean, that it's something that you commit yourself to, and it's and it's um, it's important. And to the best of your ability, you do it. I, it, I tried. I certainly tried it at Medium. Um, to to bring the young couple of younger writers along, and I, I think I succeeded. It's harder when no, I heard very positive things. It's harder, but it's harder yeah. when it's a bit of a it's you know when you're just on fire all yeah. the time. You know, yeah. it's like you I, I want to give you notes. I want to spend three hours giving you notes, but sometimes it is just easier to take stuff and you know and redo it. So you you really have to make that commitment. I'm going to try to teach this person why this scene is getting thrown out, why they didn't succeed here the way they the way they wanted to, mm -hmm. um, and that that is a that's a commitment. Of time and energy and and it's and it's something that I think is important to do and it was it was it was done for me it's it's still being done for me you know um but, uh, when I, when Andrew invited me into the edit he said do you want to come hang out and editing and I said yes I absolutely do I mean that's you know that's him mentoring me and saying I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get you some I want to teach you what area. I know exactly and do you know what I learned like in my own experience with that is you have to hit people at the right point in their career where their energy is not so into they have got to be on the forefront of everything. Absolutely. But there is a recognition of if I teach this person, it is going to help me. Right. And, and I think it does take people being in the right spot in life to really embrace that. I, it's, I absolutely agree. And I think there's... Um... I know I didn't get to the I didn't get to the specific part that you asked about being a woman, but there there are you know a writing staff is a is is hopefully a very supportive place and a very fun place and a place where everybody is working together towards a common goal. It is also let's face it a little competitive. Sometimes yeah. it's horribly competitive, and and then you're in what we call a snake pit, and you're having a miserable time. And again, I have to say I I've just I guess I've just been lucky. Um, but I've never had to really face that. Um, it's always been a, a, a really supportive environment. But there is that competition we used to, we would always joke about. 
you know, younger writers, the story editor comes in and they write a phenomenal script and, you know, you're going, well, I'm getting contrast gained. Yeah. <laughs> we used to call it. It's like, yeah. you know, you got to watch out for him. But yeah. it, you don't. You know, yeah. you, it's good. It's This is an episode now that I don't have to spend a whole lot of time fixing. You've right. Got, you've got to look at it from the positive point of view, you know. Right. If you're worried about losing your job, that's your issue. Right. You know, it, 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 you've got to just sort of keep keep plugging along keep doing the best you can do my next question for you is as far as young writers or not even necessarily young writers writers starting new writers Mm -hmm. new writers what what advice would you give them when you think about you went through the development executive process and staffing then you went to the writer process I'm sure you've helped I know you've helped staff uh, as a writer, as well as a development executive, what advice, being on both sides, would you give newer writers? Uh, in terms of getting a job or in terms of once you have the job? In both. I actually would like you to cover both. In terms of getting a job, in terms of getting an agent or a manager, I would like you to cover, like, what, what like, if a writer were to come to you right now and say, Moira, I'm really thinking about writing for television, what would you recommend? What would you advise me? I would recommend that they try to get a job in the business, that you've still got to pay your bills for now, get mm-hmm. a job, because I actually don't know how to get an agent starting cold when you arrive in town off the bus with your suitcase. I don't know how you would do that. I got my agent because I talked to him on the phone all the time because he was calling my boss's office. Right. Um, I, I knew several agents that way. I actually, when I was ready to send out my material, I, I got to I got to pick and choose, essentially. Not, not all of them wanted to sign me, but I got to send out my material to several places. Um, and that just the ease of that you you get people because you had the relationships I, and relationships are everything. David Milch read my first terrible screenplay and it was terrible. And and you know he didn't he didn't put me on staff at NYPD Blue or anything. But he sat me down and he said, "You're a writer. You have a voice." And that kind Biggest that kind of support, I mean yeah get. I mean you know I I'm still quoting him today. Yeah. Um, that and, and James Cameron told me my writing was butch. Those are the two greatest compliments I got. Um, but I love that. That kind of access is invaluable. It's absolutely invaluable. And so I would suggest getting Working a job. as a PA as or a, a writer's anything. assistant. And, as, and I tell you what, yeah. it, you know, if you get a job as a PA, be the best effing PA you can be. You know, make sure everybody gets their lunch before 1 o'clock if that's your job. You know, make sure you've got lots of menus for them to choose from. Make sure that the coffee's always fresh. People notice It's silly stuff, but I'm telling you, we notice. Yeah. Writing staffs, notice. If the coffee's old, we know who to blame. If the coffee's fresh, you're going to get props for it. That guy, that guy, that girl, she's on the ball. She knows what she's doing. She's committed. So when you come, yeah. to, when you come to them then and you say, can you read my script, they say yes. They're far more inclined to, to, to read it and to like it and to help you. Um, there's no question. 110% of your effort is required at all times. Uh, that's true also that's when you get advice. on staff. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think in terms, of, in terms of having material, cover the waterfront. You cannot have too much material. You need to have a procedural. You need to have a, 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 anything you might think you would want to write. You should have a genre piece. You should have you know, specs of shows or a, a piece of original material, a feature about you know, your college romance, whatever it is. Have as much material as you possibly can. There should be no time when you're not writing. Also, when you're writing, you're getting better. You know, you're working during the day, and then you're working for an hour or two at night. That's fine. Um, actually, a wonderful writer, Jennifer Levin, 
gave me a piece of advice, and I think it got my screenplay written. <laughs> she said she had been uh, she had been in medical she's, school, yeah, and great. she and she wanted to write. She was in medical school. I'm yeah, I'm pretty wow. sure, I'm pretty sure oh, I'm remembering great. this correctly. I think you're right. Okay, she had been in medical school, but she wanted to be a writer, and she bought a kitchen timer, and she set it for an hour. And every day she would sit down and write for an hour. And eventually it became two hours and eventually it became three hours. And eventually she didn't need the timer anymore. But you got to do it. You come home, you're tired, but you owe that hour or half an hour or 15 minutes. Whatever it is that you can spare, you owe it. And, and you've got to keep your eye on the prize that way. And, and you will get better. The more you write, the better you get. There's no question about it. So that would be my, that would be my first piece of advice is, is lead with your material. I think it's interesting because I, I find as an executive, the more material they have, you're right. Oh, yeah. That means Especially if I'm now, staffing the market five is shows yeah. and I like your writing and I can put you up for all five shows because you have a script for all five shows. You always get but, that yeah. call. Do you have something with more humor? Mm -hmm. Do you have something that's more procedural? No, Do you have, and you, you got to say yes. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have it, you gotta, you've got to fill that void. Especially now, the market is tougher. It is harder to get a job. You, you need to be prepared. Everybody needs to be working harder. Um, the second thing is, unfortunately, and this comes naturally to some people and not to others, but you need to give a good meeting. You have to go Tell in. Tell us what that means. It's, it helps to have, I think, <laughs> um, the story of how I got engaged to the man who eventually became my ex-husband uh, was a very funny one. Mm -hmm. And I dined out on it. And I would, I would, you know, I would walk into meetings and they'd go, well, tell us about yourself. Well, I just got engaged. It's actually kind of a funny story. And you, you tell know, us the story. No, I'm not going to tell you the story. The story's so old. No, 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 no. But it was funny. Um, but you know th that kind of thing. So that you, it's okay to have a patter. You know, yeah. when Nathan Fillion goes on The View and on Jimmy Kimmel, he's got his story. Right. You'll see them. You'll see these actors tell the same story over and over again. It's okay if it's a little rehearsed, as long as it's funny and it's interesting and it's engaging. Everybody's got you know one funny story, and then you should also, of course, know something about the shows that you're going in to see. Right. You've got to do research. Right. And if you can. Have ideas that you're willing to pitch if they if you get the idea that you you know you sort of sneak it in. Well, you know the thing I love about this character is you know they could do this or they could do that. You're not even really pitching. You're just sort of talking about how excited you are about the show. The showrunner responds to that. You're not going. This isn't going to get you a job that you were never going to get in the first place. But it could be it could be to step over the line if they're choosing between two people. Well, that person was funny and they they seemed to really get the character, and they had a piece of material that fit this show. That kind of stuff is more than ever. More is than so, ever. Is so, so important. What about mistakes that you've seen made in meetings that you would recommend people avoid? I think I'm not, you know what, I'm not sure because sometimes, sometimes it's just a question of chemistry. Right. Sometimes it's just somebody having a bad day personal. and there's nothing you can do about yeah. that. But I think... When Has anyone ever said anything negative about a show in your meeting? In my meeting? Oh, about this? Well, no, because I was usually only staffing. Like they knew, right? You know, they, they knew not knew to go was, there. You know, yeah, don't do you know. not say anything yeah. negative. Don't about say anything negative. The show. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's pr yeah, that's probably rule number one. Or, yeah. I, it, which is difficult because sometimes they. Pro I don't think they usually do this with staff writers, but they will as you as you get up up higher up. They'll go. Well, what do you think is working, and what do you think is not working? That's just you know that's it's just a dangerous. It's question. a time bomb, it's and you a never know. One. You never know. They either sometimes they want to know the truth, and sometimes you, and you, which is the, my third piece of advice, which um, is true when you're trying to get a job, and definitely once you've gotten a job, particularly if there's a writer's room, learn how to read the people in the room, particularly your boss. If 
if it's a, if it's a room where the upper level people want to stare at the board for half an hour and just ruminate and think, don't be the person going, what about this? What about that? What about this? We, you want to kill that person. Mm-hmm. You know, choose your moments. It's it's very difficult. And I know because when you're young and starting out, you're so enthusiastic and you want people to see you and you want people to think you're talented. And, and how else can you do that except to except to talk in the writer's room? It's very often a bad idea. If you there, I think there's this isn't there that Seinfeld where George has like one good joke and then he leaves the meeting. In a sense, that's kind of what you have to do. Only speak when you know you're going to say something really smart or really funny. Yeah. And then seriously, one a day is good. You know, relax and spend the rest of the day listening and absorbing and figuring out what it is they really want from you, because every room is going to want something different from you. Um, and, and you will figure it out, but you've, you've got to stop first and, and pay attention to what's going on. But I think, I think that's an excellent piece of advice because I think your biggest, um, gift, I think when you go into a room is to be a sponge Mm -hmm. and is to recognize, is this a room where there's a pecking order? Number one. Absolutely. You know, is this a room where my ideas are embraced? And it is an interesting thing because I teach the writers on the verge and, um, I'm the writing instructor for that, and we had Greg Daniels come in and Tim Crane come in, and mm-hmm. it was interesting. I don't remember which one of them said it, but one of them said, you know, the harder thing for baby writers is very often the baby writer gets let go because he or she does not speak up enough. Exactly. Or yes. they get let go yes. because they speak up too much. You want to, I, I know it sounds terrible. Yeah. You want to speak up just enough, but you want to pick your moments. Mm-hmm. Pick your moments. Mm-hmm. And for a baby writer, I think one smart thing a day is good. You've right. made your impression. Right. They, you know, they. you said something and they went, oh. And that's don't don't wreck it. Right. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't go talking. past the moment. Don't go now. I've got them where I want them. And then just keep talking. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Let them take that's whatever great. the idea was and let them turn it into whatever they're going to turn it into. Right. The third thing. They have a third. I've lost count. The, the third or fourth thing. <laughs> might have, might this, be the fourth. I think it's the second. The second thing when you get the job and you're in the room. And this this is so important. And you are going to learn from my mistakes because I was this person. It, and again, it comes from a place of wanting to be wanting to be taken seriously and wanting to look intelligent and wanting to look like you know what you're doing. Do not be the person that sits in the room and looks at the board and goes, yeah, that's just not working for me. And then that's it. You've got no answers. You've got no you've got no bits of advice. You've got nothing except I don't I don't buy that. Do not be that person. That person kills a room. And it's very hard when you're starting out not to say things like that or not to say, well, when they did it on Buffy, they did it much better, which is what I did on Dark Angel. And Chick Egley got so mad at me one day. <laughs> but that's so honest. It, it, I mean, it's, you no, just, it's honest that you're the, the, revealing don't do that, that you made that oh, mistake. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. I mean, there were there were a couple of us on, on Dark Angel. We were starting out and we were relatively new and... We just thought we were so smart, and we were. We were smart, and we were talented, but we didn't know everything. Yeah, and and I think, I think it just be, it became this. It was it was actually it was a lesson I didn't even learn until I was on Medium, um, and Bruce Miller had been brought on as a co EP, 
And I had been fighting with Renee for two years before Bruce got there, just fighting with him about it. We would scream at each other in the writer's room about this doesn't work and I want to do it this way and blah, 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 blah. And he wanted to do something. I hate that idea and whatever the heck it was. And Bruce came on and Renee would pitch something and Bruce would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he would, let's talk about that. And I was like, well, this guy has no discernment. What is he doing? But I realized in the end they would either realize that, oh, you know what, that doesn't work. Or it would lead to a better idea. Whereas if you, if you just come in with the negative and you don't follow the thread of what the bad idea is, sometimes bad ideas lead to great ideas. Mm-hmm. But just shooting down a bad idea leads to nothing except anger between two people. And maybe you win and you shoot down the idea. Come up with something better. I think it also leads to So I just, I just of, wait, I have to say, because yeah. just in case you listen, that, that Bruce Miller has a tremendous amount of discernment. <laughs> right. And I was completely wrong about him. What he was doing right. was he was he was doing the same thing I was doing. He right. was just doing it from a place of positivity. And I actually said to myself, I'm going to start doing this from now on. I'm going to stop arguing. I'm going to start going along with it, even if I don't agree, and I'm going to see where it leads. And Renee and I have not had a fight in the writer's room since. We have not had a fight, and we've broken just as many stories, and they've been just as good or as bad as they would have been if we had fought. But the room became a much better place, and our relationship was, you know, was friendlier and happier, and, you know, there was no stress between us anymore. So everything becomes about the positivity and about the creating and about the work. And I think, I mean, I think that's that's incredible. That's my biggest and piece of advice. And I am so grateful that you, like, I embrace people who can say, learn from mm. what I did wrong. Absolutely. So that you don't do it again. I think you touched on an important thing in the writer's room in life, quite honestly, whether you're at a dinner party or your networking event or if you make a person feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. It creates tension. Right. So if you're going to blow an idea apart, you have to have a sound reason. And quite honestly, I think the better approach is what you're talking about. I have found. I really believe. I have found that it takes exactly the same amount of time. We can either be fighting and Mm -hmm. at loggerheads and I can be telling you essentially how stupid you are. Right. Or you're telling me how stupid I am. Right. You know, either way, everybody's unhappy. Or we can go, let's follow this and see where it goes. Because then you trust one another. Exactly. And if you're working with people, again, like I said, I've been lucky. I work with people in the room. I don't know if this would work with somebody. But you know what? If they're your boss and they're happy, it's your job to make them happy. Yeah. But I have found that it always leads to something better. And yeah. that eventually, I mean, I would say this, I, I've said this in the room to writers because they'll go, well, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't work in Act 2. And I'm like, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be there. But, but, but you're building on it and you're going, and I'm like, it's okay. Relax. In an hour, I'm telling you, it's not going to be there because we're going to get to something better. And eventually it is. It's gone. And, you know, they, they're picking fights about stuff that they shouldn't be, you know, minutia, stuff that is not important. You've got to you've got to just sort of follow and go along and see where it takes you. Come up with it. Come up with another idea. Come up with something better. Oh, that's always good. Instead of this, can we do this? That's terrific. But don't just poke holes and stuff. Or as, as Bruce used to say, don't Jenga my idea. You know, the Jenga where you somebody comes along and pulls out the bottom thing and the whole thing crashes. Right. Down. I <laughs> love. OK. You know. That is such great wisdom. And sometimes you're right when you Jenga, but you ha- it's, it's, all in, it's all in how you do it. And on that note, we will take a break. This is Jen Grisanti with Moira Curlin from Castle. 
You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Moira Kerlin from Castle. Now it is a great time for writers to write pilots. Yes. Um, what, in your own experience, and I know you waited a while before you wrote a pilot, what was your creative process going from writing a spec script to writing a pilot, and what do you think value-wise the pilot has? I think there are two ways to approach writing a pilot. And it and it depends it depends on what you want and and some of this is is new new business this this is how the business is going now um, now that networks have branded uh, to such a great extent if you are going to write a pilot or you want to pitch a pilot and sell it know what networks you want to sell it to you should hopefully have more than one in your head. If you're writing a show for HBO and it can't be anywhere else, you're in trouble because if HBO doesn't buy it. You're not going to sell your show. You need to you need to be able either to to establish three networks that you think you can adjust the pitch for at the very least, um, or or that you think would definitely be within the range. That's if you want to sell it. If you want to write a pilot and you want it to be your material, you want to say this is my voice, this is what I'm interested in, this is this is what I want to write about. Then you ha- you have a lot more freedom. And look, maybe you get lucky. You know, I mean, Mark Cherry wrote Desperate Housewives because he was inspired. And, right. you know, look what happened. Right. Um, so, you know, that's also a possibility. But I think those are sort of the two approaches that you bring to it. When I uh, did my first pilot, which was with Renee Echevarria for ABC, he called me up. He, I don't remember if he had a deal or not. I can't remember what was going on. But he called me up and he said, he said, ABC is looking for a big sky family show. And we had broken the idea for Montana, which was what it eventually became within a couple of weeks. And, and I, I did, I have, to, I have to admit, and Renee would agree, I did most of the writing on it because he was doing something else. Um, he was working on another show for Vox. But, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily something that I would have woken up one morning and decided to write, but I loved it. It was great. What it, was the concept for the show? It was, it was essentially, sim- it was similar to Everwood or to Birds of Paradise. Any of those shows were, you know, the, 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 the mother wasn't dead. Right. <laughs> but the father had had a, uh, the father was a workaholic who had a, uh, a heart attack and decided to simplify. So he sells his New York penthouse and his business and he takes the family and he buys a ranch in Montana and decides he's going to raise horses. Um, and it was, it, you know, it was, it was a terrific little script. It, it was what it was. It didn't, you know, they, it had some heat for about 10 minutes and then it was gone. Um, the second time I wrote a pilot, I had been working on uh, Medium and I was so, I was so exhausted from killing young co-eds <laughs> that, uh, that I wrote this, this, oh, it was, it was just this frothy soap opera about the makeup business. I mean, I it was great. It took me. It took me almost three years to write it, just, you know, to research it and then to break it and then to, you know, and then to actually sit down and write it. It took me forever. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't sell, but it was it was a good sample. It was a good piece of material. But I said, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to just write it. You know, I'm going to try to go out and sell something first and then, you know, somebody can pay me to write it. This was my new this was my new plan. And uh, I did. I had a deal. with CBS Paramount for I think the third season of Medium, they gave me right. a blind script, and I was I was in that office 
the day they opened, I was sitting there in front of Julie McNamara and her team and pitching, I think, three ideas. And one was another one. Again, one was an idea that I had been thinking about specking for a year, that I had been researching, and that and that really was a piece of my heart. And, and that I think that probably showed because that was the idea. They said, let's go out with it. And so I said, okay, great. And it was about teenagers. This was the year that Gossip Girl premiered. Wow. But Gossip Girl was not yet on the air. And I said, it's a CW show. We got to, you know, you're CBS Paramount. We're going to go sell this to the CW. And the night before I pitched it at the CW, somebody got me the Gossip Girl pilot. And I walked in. I was like, they're not going to buy this. It's just Gossip Girl, but with different characters and different situations. I mean, it's the same thing. And I went in and I pitched it. And it was Tom Sherman. And he was very nice. And he was, I'm a fan. I was like, yeah, you're not going to buy this. Had You've got Gossip Girl. He was yeah. had a yes. development at CW. Yes. yes. And uh, and they didn't buy it. And so we walked out very dejected. And I think a day or two later, bless her heart, maybe it wasn't even, it was probably that afternoon, bless her heart, Julie McNamara from CBS Paramount called me up. And she started with, and here's a great executive, she started with, I know this is your vision. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything you're not comfortable with. And I said, I know, Julie, you want me to age everybody up. You want me to make them 27. And she goes, you know, it would really help us sell it. And so I did that. I spent two weeks making everybody. They were no longer teenagers in high school. Now they were working in the hotel business, and they were 27. And uh, we pitched it at CBS, and we pitched it at Fox, and Fox basically bought it in the room, which was, I think, probably the most exciting moment That's of my career. fantastic. Yeah. What yes. was the name of the pilot? It was called Retrograde. Oh, and great. And it was, it was about, a, uh, it was about a, a sociopath, the son of a, of a hotel magnet. And but the kid is kid. He's 27. I aged him up. Um, He's a bad guy, bad guy. And he's manipulating everybody. And he's he's just doing all these terrible things. And he has an accident one night and loses his memory and now has to sort of function within this snake pit of a life that he's created. And the question is sort of, is he going to revert to his old ways? Is it something that's in your brain or is it something that was his bad his bad parenting, his terrible father? Did he make him into this because he can start with a blank slate? What's going to happen? And that was a dilemma. That was a great dilemma. It was it was it was fun. And I I wrote it. And uh, then I got force majeure during the strike. It was the year they bought Dollhouse and Fringe. And I knew they just they had no more no more room, no more money. So, and I, yeah, they forced oh, me. Oh, that's disappointing. But it's but, good for the audience to recognize that's all part of the development process. Also, what happened just briefly um, is I ended up uh, switching agents and nobody in town had seen the pilot. And so my new agents at ICM sent it everywhere. And I got meetings all over town the last staffing season because it was a piece of material that I had been excited about and that I think really represented my voice. And I think people saw that. Uh, we, as we talked about, I would love to hear your perspective on the note-taking process. When the studio or the network gives notes to a writer, as well as when the show gives notes to a writer, what is that experience? The, um, it's, it's, again, it's difficult, particularly if you're a new writer. I know how you feel. You've spent, hopefully, over 10 days, if you had the time, if you were given the, the luxurious time to craft this. You've been working on it. You've stayed up nights, sleep, sleepless, working on it. And now people are coming along going, yeah, I'm not so crazy about this right here. You know, let's start on page one. Um, and it, it can be very frustrating and it can be upsetting. And, you know, and listen, I, I know that there are executive producers out there who are hard, who give notes and mock you. 
you know, I've never experienced it. I have I, heard. I, many yeah, of those I have heard stories. stories and I, we all we all know their names. Eventually, you know, they're difficult. Uh, don't cry. Don't do it. Don't cry. <laughs> never. There's no crying in writing. Go, in, go into the bathroom. Go home and cry. Go, yeah. I, I, yeah. I left a room once and went into the bathroom and cried and then came back. You know, I excused myself. I mean, do not cry in front of your boss. Um, but also tr- do not get defensive. Do not argue every note. Y- y- when you're taking notes, your immediate reaction is to say, but, 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 but no, 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 no. You don't understand why this is this way. You need time after you've gotten notes to absorb what's been said to you and to track it through and to, and, and, and to often think, you know, that person had a point. Um, in terms of the network in the studio, I'm sure, I'm sure you will learn this very quickly. Never argue notes. <laughs> the stock answer is, I'll take a look at that. <laughs> I tell everyone that. That I is never that. argue notes. And I again, I, I got into trouble once and I, I, I had written a pilot and it was for uh, UPN, but I was getting notes from the studio. And I didn't think I was being argumentative. Right. I thought I was explaining why this was like this. And, Bob, you know, and I certainly said a couple of times, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at that. The next time, the next round of notes, I got a call from my agent and my agent said, listen, I'm going to help you here. Don't say anything, but I'll take a look at that. I'll, I'll change that. Don't say anything because one person on this call has decided that you're difficult. And she's telling other people that you're difficult. You need to cut this right here. And it was an important lesson, and I did it. And, you know, the, my bad reputation stopped right there because the boss heard me say, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then, you know, she, she thought, she was like, well, I don't see what the problem is. It's especially true with showrunners because and or whoever your superior is at, at, at work, because as I said before, giving notes to a staff writer or to a young writer is time consuming. It's a it's essentially a favor that they're doing you because it is easier in so many ways to take the script and rewrite it. So what they're doing is giving you the opportunity to do that yourself. And that's a huge opportunity. It's how you learn. Writing is rewriting. Once you have gotten these notes, sometimes they won't work. Maybe you go back to your boss and go, I can't make that work. Can you explain it again? Or can I do it this way? You know, whatever, have a dialogue. But if you sit in the room and you start getting defensive, that person starts thinking, what the hell am I wasting my time for? And that is a place you don't want to be. You don't want to be the jerk. I've had experiences. I had experiences with this um, on on at least one show that I worked on, and I called the writer into you know I wasn't giving the notes. It was it was somebody higher than me. Called the writer into my office and said, "Look, you've got to stop because nobody is going to want to work with you. Nobody's going to want to help you make the script better. They're just going to start taking it away from you." And this person got better. It was slow. It you know the next time it was a little bit easier and a little bit easier and a little bit easier, and eventually they got the message. I think sometimes, and I think it's... Which isn't to say, well, sorry, one thing, which yeah. isn't to say be a pushover. Right. But there is, there has got to be a middle ground. It's political. Yeah. It is political, but you need to learn how to make all of this work for you. Right. You need to, knew, to know how to work the system. But I think, and I do, I mean, it's a very, very good point. I think sometimes people are so dedicated to what they're doing that they're not even aware. So like by your taking that writer in, I've had that experience mm-hmm. where I've had to call an upper level writer and say, I'm going to give you a piece of advice on these network phone calls. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can say is I will take a look at that. 
That is exactly, I said, what yeah. you don't realize that you are doing by these phone calls in one call got so bad. I said, what you don't realize that you're doing is you are so busy defending the note mm -hmm. that you don't even hear the You're note. not hearing the note. It's true. It's absolutely true. And very often, I think, and this is something that you gain with experience, very often, I think, particularly notes that come from the studio and the network because they are so busy and because they aren't writers, so to speak, the note sounds, the note sounds wrong to you, but there's a note behind the note. And the note behind the note is... I'm not getting the emotion or this isn't moving fast enough or it, there is a, there is a note there that's genuine. Maybe the note that they give you, well, I don't like so-and-so in this scene. You're like, what? I don't get it. Look closer. See what it is that's not working. If there is something that's not working. Sometimes notes are just crazy. Or <laughs> like I that. say, you know, in that, and I can tell you from giving notes for 15 years, it is an interesting thing because it doesn't mean that we are not at fault at times yeah. like executives are as busy as any is everybody is yeah. and you may read a script at 10 o'clock at night exactly and again at five in the morning but still miss something and on a phone call when you've got eight people on the phone call the biggest thing I will also tell people is recognize when you have a big audience don't humiliate people precisely you, it, it never does you any good to think of the studio and the network people as idiots. It does you no good. It, it just doesn't help because you. Because we are you, all on the same team. You really you really have to, even though you get frustrated, even, oh, da, 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 they don't know what I go through, whatever it is. Even if, even if every once in a while you will get somebody who just doesn't get it, you've got to think of it as being on the same team. You, you, you work on the same team often with people who don't see eye to eye with you. You have to learn how to do that. Well, in saying the note behind the note yes. is a great thing. That's something I learned it, it as I got like, older. They may have not clearly yes. saw what you were trying to do, but clearly there was something that didn't connect. There's a disconnect, yeah. and you, either you're not selling it well enough, mm -hmm. or there there's something in there that isn't working, especially yeah. if you hear it more than once. Yeah. So absolutely, you got sometimes you just have to look at that and go, here's what I think they're trying to say. And I also think on that note, like clarifying, I do say yes. to writers, it's fine if you don't understand a note. Yes, absolutely. To say, this is what I'm hearing. Is this what you're saying? Yes. So I, I think there there is all a way. But I think everything that we talk about really pertains to life as well because it, it really is social etiquette, period. Yes. I mean, and so it really, I think the further we get along, the mistakes that we make along the way – where, you know, I remember at the beginning of giving notes when I would give notes on like 9 or 210 Melrose Place at the very beginning, and you would give a note and there would be like this cold stone silence. And you, <laughs> you would just go, oh boy, did I read that right? <laughs> and so, but you and then on the other end of the call, the writers are all widening their eyes at yeah. each other going, what did she just say? Yeah, exactly, oh, exactly. Yeah. But it, it takes that... For all of us, yeah. for, for the executive as well, for the network and the studio executive to say, my goal here is not to embarrass or right. humiliate anyone. My goal here is to make the script the best that it can be before it hits the air. Absolutely. Period. Yeah. So it's like that is where I feel the common goal is in line. Now, going back to being a woman. Mm. In the <clears throat> world of writing, tell me, uh, enlighten me a little bit more or our female writers in the audience as 
to tricks of the trades that maybe you learned along the way? Um, let me think. I, I think possibly that it is my... I, I think I have a certain blindness about it because I don't ever like to go to to that kind of, you know, oh, he doesn't no like because does. I'm a woman. You, yeah. just, you don't want to do that. So part of me wants to say I've had, being a woman has been nothing but but helpful to me in terms of my career. But then as I was driving over here, I remembered, well, two things. It's been nothing but helpful, but I happen to have a very sarcastic sense of humor and a mouth like a truck driver. So... I can get along with guys. And, you know, if you sit in a room and you sort of scowl at them when they make a dirty joke, you're probably not going to get along as well. And, and, and the reality is that ma the majority of showrunners are men. I've only worked for male showrunners, and I've right. been doing this for 10 years. So, you know, you, I'm not saying you have to change yourself or that you have to swallow your pride or that you have to put up with abuse or anything like that. It's just you will probably... And I think probably very often women writers tend to be this way anyway. It, there's a there's a it's just that kind of attitude that you have. If you want to write for television, you probably you know have have certain experiences and have a certain kind of humor and 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 it and it helps. Um, but on one of my very first jobs, it was the first day of one of my very first jobs, and I I was a lower level writer, and. There was something happening. It was a terrific show, but something happened that day that was going on that I, th that I felt very uncomfortable about. And I couldn't say anything because I was a woman and I was lower level and I could not start out my job by being the one to point and say, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. I mean, then you get, I, I was like, I'm not going to be that crazy person. And bless his heart, uh, another writer, same level as me, went on to become super successful, he was a terrific guy, came up to me and said, are you okay with this? And I said, you know, I'm not, but I don't know what to do. And he said, okay. He said, I'm going to say something. And I said, well, if you say something, I will back you up. I just can't be the first person to say it. And he did. He said, I, he said you know, I'm not, he said to the boss, I'm not comfortable with this. And I said, you know, neither am I. And we got a little, you know, we got a little ragging about it. I mean, it was, uh, but the, the thing that was making me uncomfortable stopped. And it was, it was a lesson to me in, in many ways. I mean, it, 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 yes, I had to find a guy to do my dirty work for me. I did. I, I, I admit it. Mm -hmm. Years later, mm -hmm. I was working on another show um, that had a pretty raucous room, you know, to which I contributed. But at one point, something went over the line. And right. it was very obviously over the line. There right. was no question it went over the line. And I went to privately. I went to one of the upper level guys and I said, you know, and he goes, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I said, I just, I'm just telling you, you got, you, you can't do that. You've got to get it in line. Now, at that point, we had been working together for a while. He knew that I was not a, a, a tender flower who was going to complain about every little thing. He knew, and he knew that it was over the line. And I was, I think I was, at that point, I was, I was definitely a producer level of some kind. So I had a little bit more weight to me in that sense. Um, but these are the kinds of things that you experience. And I know th there are men that don't get along in the room. There are men that are just a pain. And those guys are creeps. They're jerks. They're whatever. Women who don't get along in the room are crazy. Yeah. That's, that's what they'll call you. They'll yeah. call you crazy. And I think it's because women are jerks in ways that men don't always understand. It, you know, but you don't want that kind of, you don't listen, you, for guys, you don't want to be a jerk. 
Um, but Women want to be liked, though, too. <sighs> and is, I think yes. many men suffer from that same thing. But it is more important to be liked in a lot of circumstances. People feel so. Yet you need to be able to get yes. along, and it, and it's more and important. It's, it's oh, it's but it's difficult because you don't you don't you shouldn't have to take mm-hmm. stuff that's inappropriate or that's mm-hmm. abusive. And I know I know people who do, and yeah, I, I, I know there are guys who like to make girls cry, mm-hmm. and they live for that. And yeah. you want to get another job as quickly as you can. Yeah. you know, just just get out. And hopefully, you know, unfortunately, that's that's the way of the world. You want your former boss to say nice things about you. You want them giving you good recommendations as you are packing your things and leaving and saying goodbye. But you I know? and I think that goes into what you said earlier about being a sponge and knowing your environment, because I remember and it was a female executive who gave me this piece of advice. And it was a very valuable piece of advice. She said to me to about a senior level executive who dealt with communication through confrontation mm-hmm. through yelling mm-hmm. that was just that's the how, way so, that's this how some people work communicated so i'm a very non-confrontational person so she said to me and i had seen this executive deal with this difficult scenario several times and she said to me jennifer the best thing you can do is learn to yell back and be okay with it. Yeah. Because this is how this person communicates. And if you want to communicate with this person and be respected by this person, you need to not be afraid to yell back. That was a whole new thing. <laughs> I mean, that was like to be comfortable yes. with it. But and, then, and it's funny because now that you mentioned now yeah. that you mentioned it, I yeah. had I I did have a boss that liked to yell and I but I, I I was comfortable yelling back because I knew I really was respected. Right. The the yelling was the process. Right. And you know, or the day or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. But you did you you had to stand your ground. Yeah. You know, it's like I said, there's no if I had burst into tears in front of this person, I yeah. would have been out the door. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to feel that he was making people unhappy. Right. He was just venting. Right. You know, and so you needed to be able to stand up and give it back as 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 well as take it. And I want women to go away with that because I can say in my own career as Climbing the ladder as a female, I very often, during the majority of my career, it was me and 11 men Mm -hmm. in the room. So it really was what was climbing this. But as you saw other people use your notes in rooms and you saw that you were going in a direction that was the right direction, you had to check your ego at the door and go, okay, what's the most important thing about the creative process? Not that I get credit for everything, but that it get that it gets heard, mm-hmm. number one, and that we are all on the same team. It's not about who's right, who's wrong, who has the better note, who's this, who's that. It's about the story and making the story the best that it could be. And for women, it is also about knowing when to speak up to yes. yourself. Yes. And taking time when you're angry or sad or frustrated Go to the bathroom before you respond and then take some time. Think about it. Resonate on it. Reflect. Go back to the person and in a more mild Absolutely. manner deal with the yeah. scenario. If you yeah. get if it is it is the one thing that I would that I would suggest to women that they never do is burst into tears and get mm-hmm. hysterical mm-hmm. because it frightens the hell out of men. <laughs> it just scares the crap out of them. And then they don't want to work with you. Yeah. And that is that is the one thing where I say, 
Yes, be like a guy. Mm-hmm. You don't don't give it up in the room. Go, right. you know, go yes. call your boyfriend. Go downstairs. Go smoke a cigarette. Go cry in the ladies' room. Right. Don't do it in front of them. Right. You know, and and if you're going to yell or if you're going to say okay, fine, or you know, whatever it is, however you need to handle it in that moment, just don't cry. Just right. Don't get hysterical and start shrieking at people. Right. Because that'll you'll have a crazy reputation so fast, and it's terrible. And you know, I mean, that is a hard thing about being a woman. And I also want to go into your experience of being a single mom as well and balancing your personal life with it but it is an it, it is a hard part of being a woman to be strong but not be a bitch absolutely it is a very very challenging daily thing that you have to work on yes and um on that note with regards to so you which i have to say i admired so much and i know so many women who are pursuing this career and are concerned with when do I get pregnant? Do I get pregnant? Do I have to give up having kids in order to have this career because it is very often a 24-7 job? Can I be a good mom and be a writer on television? Can you can you help give some perspective on your experience of this? Um, it's it is it is very challenging and very difficult as you know, as anything important in life is. Um, I actually when I had my daughter, when I adopted my daughter, um, was I think she was three months old when I got the job on Medium. And Medium was the sort of show where all you did was write. You didn't need to produce. You weren't asked to produce. And so I basically worked not nine to five, but I worked, you know, nine to seven. Um, I was also single and she was a baby. So I sold my house in the valley and I I rented an apartment two minutes from the studio where I was working. I mean, these were things that were, you know, that were available to me. They're decisions that I made to make my life better. Uh, and I had, a, I have and continue to have a fabulous nanny. Um, and now that I'm working on Castle and I'm producing, she's older. And I find that they're, you know, that they're, I, if I'm not there to tuck her in every night, she's okay. Um, that I can, you know, I can say, mommy's going to be working for a week and you're not going to see a whole lot of me and I'll make it up to you later. And she understands. It's not oh, like I when she was that. a baby. So I think, you know, in that sense, you just, you have to do what's right for you. Right. You know, and, right. and, but there's, I mean, I, I, I would never encourage anybody to, to forego having children if that's what you want to do, because you can work it out. Yeah. It, it'll all get done. Um, especially now. I mean, I think that, I think that women are, especially even just what we were talking about earlier about about how to conduct yourself and what's expected of you. And, you know, we are getting to a point where women have been in the in the writer's room for a long time. And so I think I hope that people coming up, you know, are used to it. And and it's not such a strange thing. You're not you're really not a, a woman in a man's world. Um, you can you can be a woman and you can and you can get along and, and you can have that perspective, you know, of, of being a woman. And they'll turn to you and they'll say, well, what do you think? And you go, well, I, I really don't buy it. I don't think that's what this character, this female character would do. And they'll respect that, um, you, you know, in the good rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in the rooms where they like working with women. Look, there are shows where they don't want women on staff. You know, I, that's no, the truth. I agree. Yeah. And it's a problem and because it, there are female voices that yeah. need to be written. I don't want to say female voices that need to be written by females because there are many men who write the female voice very well. Yes. But I do think that the balance of, of men and women in the room, in my experience, is 
a stronger outcome to the show. If there is a balance in the room, it is reflected in the writing. I I agree, and I mean diversity as well. Yes, I, I just I think I all totally I think agree. all I think different different points of view and and different perspectives. So important, and I've had writers cover every one of the areas. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. Moira, you have been an amazing guest and given us some very, very valuable information. And I thank you for that and really covered the realm of of everything new writers uh, can anticipate going through. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. This was fun. having you. Thanks. And we are out with Moira Curlin, consulting producer on Castle. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. and StoryWise Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.